Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 81 of the North Meet South web podcast. 81. You know, 81 it's been a really long time since we've had a, a post-credit scene, so I'm going to use that as a post-credit scene. Do it. Do it. If you didn't hear people, which you didn't, go ahead and tune in for after the show for the post-credit scene. Hey, so um, what's going on in, in Mr. Michael land today? Uh, well, not a lot. Um, I, you, know, you can't see the wall behind me, but I had, or maybe you can, I had pictures on that wall. And yesterday I was in a, a meeting and I hear this like crash behind me. I'm like, what was that? One of my uh, canvas it, yeah. paintings, <laughs> canvas prints fell off the wall. And this morning I was sitting here just, you know, going about my business, didn't have headphones in or anything. And the second one fell and it scared the absolute living daylights out of me. I bet it did, man. I jumped. A, I was like, Ugh. Yeah, it was scary. Um, Aaron, Aaron told me that I'm a homeowner and I should just put some screws in the wall because I just had those. I don't know if you have them over there, but there's these 3M sticky things yep. that you can stick on. And if you ever want to take them off, you just peel the back and you can yeah. move them. It's um, but, um, uh, they're what's supposed it to support. Yeah, I don't know. But they're supposed to support up to five five kilos, which is like eleven pounds or something like that. Yep. So they're supposed to support five pounds each. So I had two of them, one on each side. So in theory, it should be about twenty pounds. This painting only weighs five. You know, it's only half that weight, and it's still no good, no good. Command strips. So yeah, that's command, command strips. strips. That's what they call here. What is that? What you guys call? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The name sounds the, the it sounds familiar enough. Things. Yeah, no, we use those too. Yeah, yeah I've got them. I've got them holding yeah, up so. some pictures in our place, and we've had a couple. So they're good on too. Yeah, yeah, they're good except when they don't work. I mean, I use them to on the ends of my desk where I've got the LED strip light that goes around. I use them because they're because they were just cheap LED strip lights, so the backing stuff came off and they started coming away. Yeah, so sure. I thought oh, I'll put these 3M things on there; they'll be fine. No, it doesn't even stick to that. It's it's annoying. Oh no, it's fine. very very annoying. No so fun. that's, you know, problem number one. Problem number two, I, I tweeted like a week ago that my AirPods were starting to misbehave and they were crackling in one ear for a while and now crackling in the other ear. And then these are your, the other these day, are your version was, twos or your pros. These are my AirPods Pro. Yeah. Wow, that sucks. So I, was, I went out for a walk the other day and my right ear, which was the last one to start, or the second one to start crackling, just out of nowhere, just goes boo. And it wouldn't stop until I took it out and put it in the case, and then put it back. And in. I took it out, and it, it's yeah, yeah, and it's and it was fine. But this happened three or four times, so you know, I tweeted, and and people have been saying that they'd been having issues with it. And apparently, it's a known issue. So I got onto the old Apple support, and they they asked all the questions. I said, no worries, we'll send you some new ones. They wanted me to go to the Apple store, and they would you know swap them over there. But I don't really want to go out in the uh, pandemic environment and hang out amongst the rabble. So sure. I said, please just ship them to me. So they put a hold on my card. They're $139 per year to as replace a, them. Jeez. Like they just put it as a hold. So once, okay, once I send they'll, them back, okay, they'll, sure, sure, they'll sure. release the hold. Yeah. Okay. I got so you. That makes sense. $139 per AirPod. And they send you this little, in you know, you know how Apple likes to package things really nicely. Yeah, so yeah. they send you two, I assume, because they do it per ear. This little box where you've got to like put the AirPod in and like fold all these bits over and then send that back. But they want it returned within 10 days. Otherwise, they'll take the money on your card. Now, considering it's been three days and the AirPods are still in Sydney, oh, no. like they haven't moved Sydney, my, my chances of getting them back within 10 days are starting to run away. Sort of slim. So hopefully there's a bit of, yeah, hopefully there's a pandemic leeway. So 
that is that is me. Been very busy at work. We've got um, you read all the stuff billing, on the go. You? Yeah, I someone pointed out to me that something was wrong, and then you know when you get one of those problems and you start peeling away the thread, and eventually oh, yes. I've got one of those right now, actually. But yes, yeah, I'm with you. So I I looked at that problem and I figured out that problem, and then that led to another problem, which led to the discovery that we were not necessarily correctly doing some of our stuff, which led to me completely rewriting the way we were doing our billing and, Dude, and not so going funny. to bed until like one o'clock last night. Cause it was, it's one of those things. It's, it's an interesting challenge. It's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just fix this little thing. And then, it, and then, Oh yes. no, now I've got to fix this other thing. You're like, do you want to fix it? Or do you want to properly boy scout it? And then also like, it? and then also like, Whoa, how did it operate for that long like that? And we never caught it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. So I fixed it. We have to we've we get the call records from our our provider. So I had the opportunity because I had to write tests for all there was no test for this. We just assumed that it worked. Uh, and it, well, it, that was like it's number sort one. of well, this predated me, but it like it worked. It didn't error. There were no errors. And it was not it's not that it was doing anything wrong necessarily. Like it was fetching the data, it was storing the data. And and it was calculating costs and things like that. Number one, the, the voice provider calculated the cost for us. So we didn't have to try and reinvent that wheel. So I got rid of that. Number two, it um it it made some assumptions about the way that the data was coming in. So every now and then we would see an error because of the way that that was happening. Like in Century, we would get three or four in a row that would be erroneous but it wouldn't actually be an error because we had some misunderstanding in how that was being processed so fix all that up um, and because we fetched from a, a third-party api i had the opportunity to play for the first time with the laravel http client fakes which are pretty pretty cool so if you don't care about the responses and you just like if you're doing an integration test you might just http colon colon fake and then do whatever and then test the side effects if you're not caring about the request itself. But I needed to simulate the actual data that was coming back from that API. And so what I did was I hit the API manually, grabbed some JSON, and I threw it into our fixture. So we just got JSON files and we've got sure. a, a a load fixture method in our base test case. Yep, same thing. And we just give it the name of a file and then and then a key within that file. So we could have multiple oh, so you don't have, response oh, types. Interesting. In one JSON. So it's file? not. Yeah. Gotcha. So we've got um, a, to do that. a JSON object, which in there has got like successful response, empty response, error response, no calls response. We just set that as the key, and then we have the actual response as the right. the value, value. object yeah, for sure. that key. So we can say load this file and load this key in that file, and then. I just had like a fake HTTP method, which you pass the, the name of the key in and then the response code you expect back. And then it just does like HTTP fake colon, uh, HTTP colon colon fake. And then if you pass it an array, this is all documented. And I, I saw this when Taylor demoed it at Laracon last year. So it, it's been that long. Right, it's been sure. a year. I know, right? I just completely forgotten about it. So you just put in there like URL slash star and whenever something calls the HTTP client with that URL return this response. And then we just like JSON decode file, get contents, blah. And then the, the key, 
and it just returns that for us. So we could simulate that. And we could, you know, obviously run these tests a million times over without hitting the API and all that good stuff at really quickly. So we're able to build up and and add some new functionality in as well. So we no longer calculate the cost ourselves. We we store a snapshot of the call rate at that time. So for international calling, you know, it might be fifty cents today, but tomorrow sure. might be fifty three cents, and in right. a month might be forty cents. Yeah, like you need if context, rates. yeah. So you know, it's enough to say that here is the cost for this call, but it's probably nicer as well, retrospectively, if someone ever wants to look back at it to say, this is the cost of the call and it was 53 cents and it was billed per minute. It was 53 cents per minute and we billed in per second increments and the total cost was this, or we billed in 30 second increments or 60 second increments. So um, it was nice to put that kind of stuff in there, track flag fall, minimum charges, all of that. So that, you know, when if customers ever look at it, they can get a good understanding of, yeah. of what the... You can always display that to them later if you want to as well. And it means that we don't have to track the history of the call rates in the database anyway. Like we don't have to track changes when we when we it's all done by CSV, which is annoying and it's manual. There's no there's no API for it. So you've got to log in, you've got to grab a CSV, you've got to upload it, you've got to process it. So we could just do an update or create. You know, update this table where provider is provider and country is country, and then just shove in there all the values and it will set the updated timestamp. Um, you know, as you'd expect it to do. And it means that that's always got the current value. And so we can always reference that when we're adding new call records and we don't have to worry about historically because we're attaching right. that exactly. to like the customer record, which is nice. So um, yeah, there was there was that. We're, we're in one of those periods at the moment where here is priority task, you know, t- priority task number one. And then you start working on that. This is very important. We've got to do this. And then a week later, if you're lucky, here's, here's priority task number one. Okay, we're going to shift focus, do this thing now. <laughs> and then a week later, it's like, hey, how's that priority task number one going? I'm like, you mean <laughs> the one that's now priority two because this yeah. is the new... Oh, no, no, no. We've got to do the other thing and this thing. So I ended up with three priority one tasks all on top of each other. And plus this billing thing, because it was tangential to a priority one task where we're going to do a new product. And so we need to be able to handle the new product. But I figure if we're going to do that new product, then we need to get the billing portion of it correct. Yeah, that'd probably you don't be a good, a good idea. Billing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's been it's been good. Uh, it's been interesting, which is nice. One of one of the tasks that I have on at the moment is uh, using... Livewire and building, you know, building on the toll stack, which is really exciting. Um, having the opportunity to start from scratch there using Cypress. Jeffrey, if you're listening, I really would like to see the rest of your Cypress course on Narrowcast. Cypress is the JavaScript very testing excited. stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, I'll link it in the show notes. Jeffrey has got a video series that is three videos in now where he talks about getting Cypress up and running with Laravel. And he's got a package. It's a uh, on on GitHub at Laracast slash Cypress or Cypress Laravel, I think, where it exposes some endpoints where you can use like factory methods and refresh Ooh, nice. databases and things like that wow, from Cypress. And because this is our sign-up form and we need to track for MBN, for example, they give us a spreadsheet that's got like 200 different addresses in it. And there are different expectations around um, the response format all those addresses, whether they can get a certain type of service, um, whether an appointment is required to get that service and things like that. 
So once I finish building the sign-up form itself, we can then say, okay, given this spreadsheet with 200 different addresses in it, go through that using that as a, as like a data provider, enter that address, and here are the expectations for each of those 200 cases. We expect you to go from the first, um, yeah, go from the first, yeah, I think it's at least 200. 200 so going cases, from like the first step of the form to the last step of the form, making sure that like you can enter your name and select the plan and enter your address. And, you know, that when you select this address, that this plan is available or this speed is available and, and all of that kind of stuff. So being able to just assert that for every single one of those cases that like you can get from start to finish, um, which will really make this sign up form bulletproof, really. Because like if you can automate testing all of that stuff, and I know this is not groundbreaking, like everyone knows that testing is the best yeah. way of doing this stuff. So it'll be it'll be a two step approach. It'll be yeah. Oh, it's a pain oh, in the butt to set up, right? It's a pain in the butt to do it. You like, only have to no, do it, it feels once, like nobody right? wants to do and that. And our, like, our current sign yeah, form a, used to have a dusk suite, right? And we shuffled some things around under, you know, in a crunch yep. a while ago, and the dusk suite broke, and then like we just got rid of the dusk suite because it was causing us more trouble than it was worth. So it'll be, you know, it'd be a matter of building the sign up form TDD, and Livewire makes testing really pleasant. Um, nice and easy. You can test like all of the really stuff nice, that's inside yeah. it and the outputs and and things like that. So the TDD flow for the sign-up form itself will be really nice. And then adding the Cypress end-to-end test on top of it will be um will be pretty cool. So I'm hoping to have that wrapped up in the next few weeks, assuming I don't get another. So you'd you'd prefer to use you'd prefer to use Cypress over uh, Dusk. Then? It seems a little bit easier just in terms of the convenience layers. Um, the the data fixtures or the data providers that you get with Cypress natively. Like you say, here's a JSON file, go and load that and then go and pull the values out of it. And they're just available to you in the context of a test or a, uh, or, or in the context of, yeah, of an individual test. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really a lot nicer than like the first time I ever looked at doing these kinds of tests when it was, um, what was I think Selenium? Like back in the day when you had to like, yeah, use, use Selenium to, to build up your test and you had to click through everything manually. So it's like, do this, then this, then this, then this, then type this and that. And then you had to like record all of it. Whereas now it's yeah. like, here's a JSON file, click this thing, click this thing. Yep. Yeah. And and it's so, so easy. You don't have to like add selectors to everything. You just say, go find the button that says next and click it. Go find the button that says sign up and click it. So anyway, Jeffrey, finish that, finish that course, please. I'm not interested That's in awesome. uh, the other ones. I just, just this one. Uh, I can identify with you with uh, the whole, we're making this one change. We're going to make this change. And like, this is the priority. And it's like, okay, great. Sounds good. And then you get a little bit into it. And you're like, um, actually that's not priority because we just found this massive hole that we can drive a truck through. Yeah. And that is the new priority as of right now, this moment. And so we're going to pivot and work on that thing until it's finished and fixed. Yeah. We had a, a decent size hole that I discovered. Um, and it's like, how did this ever get through? How did we, we did how many code reviews on this and this still made it through and we were really careful and it's like we have tests too. So it's just crazy. You know, it happens. It still happens. Even if you're really careful, it happens, which is why I saw recently there was like, I don't know, Google plus Google plus, uh, there was some, Mm -hmm. what do they call that? A class action lawsuit. What I got, I got an email, right? Class action lawsuit against Google plus. It was, it was sharing information that you had marked as private uh, publicly. Right. 
So it was like there was this class action lawsuit, and it's like, how does that stuff happen yeah. to Google? It's like it happens to everybody. Like no matter how careful you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how many tests you have, and it's like when happen, you're Google, right? you just the surface area for that kind of thing happening you, is much greater that it's like you or me or whatever, because we're talking, you know, right. billions of users instead yeah. of like thousands yeah, of yeah. users. Exactly. So that was me exactly. talking no, for true. 15 minutes. What have you been up to? Yeah, man. So. Oh man, um, we have a Lyricon online viewing party that we're going to be doing on August 25th and 26th. So we are capping the number uh, so that we can make sure that we can social distance well and do all that. Uh, we might be having, I'm trying mm-hmm. to work on a couple special guests. You know what I mean? This uh, this guy, Dorinda, I'm going to see if I can fly him over from Aussie land. Good luck. We'll see if that works out. No, but I'm working on... Uh, I'm working on a couple folks here and uh, we'll see. It, it could be really, really fun. It's going to be really fun in any case. Um, we've got some of our old crew who came out last time. Kevin McKee is coming. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with Ed, uh, Livewire. Grosvenor. Ed uh, Grosvenor. 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 I always get his name wrong. Sorry, Ed. He's coming. Patrick St- Stefan. He's coming. JP Davey was going to come, but he couldn't make it. So anyway, yeah, we got a couple a couple dudes that are coming. And um, we're going to be hanging out the 25th as well, probably for dinner and stuff. I actually uh, heard that Titan might nice. be doing a game night on the 25th as well. On August 25th, the day before, they might be doing some game stuff. So that, should, that could be kind of cool. So that's kind of fun. I'm excited about that. Another thing that Titan's been doing recently, actually, uh, they had a really good blog post out the other day. Okay. Blog.titan. Sure. Yeah, and it was like um, the Titan test. So Sarah Bine, who's a good friend of ours. I don't know if I ever told you this. Sarah Bine, I probably did. We we met in a cab ride at Laracon. The very first time. Uh-huh. New York City, like the first time I was at Laracon. And, and yeah, it was Sarah and Amanda Folson. And they were, they were hanging out together. And me and Jordan Brill shared a cab ride with them. We were like, hey, nice to meet you. Because it was raining out. It was terrible. Anyway. Uh, this Titan test is 12 steps to be a better team or to a better team. And so these like 12 qualifications, and then you're supposed to kind of go through the 12 and see how well your, your team ranks. So we've been looking at this as a team, uh, recently to kind of see where we measure up and where we fall short. So, uh, one of the items that we've noticed that we could do better in is setting aside time at work for learning. Is that anything you guys do? Not, do you guys have any time not, dedicated yeah. to learning? Or you just kind of like decide like, hey, I'm gonna need a new, for, I'm gonna need a new tool for this. I'm gonna dedicate the time myself to do that, right? And it's depending on your position too. You maybe mm-hmm. have the freedom to do that, or maybe don't, right? So I'm just, I'm interested to know what other companies are doing. I know Titan does Fridays off, right? That might be a hard sell for us, um, but maybe I could do like, yeah, two hours in the afternoon on Friday, right? Maybe from two thirty to four thirty or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe just start with something like that. Yeah, right? we don't we don't um, set aside specific time I don't know. To, uh, I would... to learn new things. No one has asked me if they can. I if if they're just doing it, that's that's great. I don't really I don't okay. I don't promote it and I don't encourage it and but I wouldn't stop someone from doing it. You know what I mean? I certainly wouldn't say, no, yeah. you're not allowed to learn new things. Yeah, for sure. They also talk the, about... The, it's a weird take for people in our business because we're always learning new things, right? We're always trying to do new things and new, there's new technologies to pick up. And, for sure. You know, not everything is for every case. Like the Cypress thing, I'm learning Cypress as I go because it's actually going to be really useful to our cause, to, to the things that we need to do. But 
you know, if I didn't have a need for it, I wouldn't be looking at it. So, yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't stop any of my team from doing it. We used to do this thing called Teaching Tuesdays where we would, on every Tuesday, somebody would be uh, forced <laughs> into teaching something. <laughs> um, so it's like, all right, hey, next week is your turn. Like, come up with something on Tuesday. It could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. But just come up with something mm-hmm. that you want to share with us that you think we'll find useful, right? It could be anything. Literally, it could be anything. Like, probably most likely dedicated to, the, to like, the you know, the job that you're in right now, but it could also be like, heck it could be like one of our guys, like it really enjoys 3d printing and also enjoys Japanese woodworking. Like, I don't care. Like bring a Japanese joinery piece that you just did and tell us about it. Like, that's cool too. I mean, I think you can't really go wrong with that. Right. So I guess it's just been, that's something that's been on my mind as we've been thinking through, like, how do we make sure that we're being the best team that we can be and making sure that we're allowing, you know, people the ability to gain mastery over certain skills and also uh, feel like they're able to contribute outside of just doing, you know, work stuff and pushing code around. So, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that a little bit. So that's kind of been cool. Let's see. Uh, Some of the other things that we were actually just talking about, which I think are very interesting. How many of you guys have used, how many guys and girls? Not as much as you have, apparently. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? Michael, Cloudinary, Cloudinary is the platform that Michael loves to hate. I say that, but no, it's just, it's the, like, and here's the, here's the deal. When you use Cloudinary incorrectly, like I was, and you end up with really crappy images, it's understandable why you would say, no, that's, that's, we're not going to use that because it looks like garbage, right? Why would you use something that looks terrible? So, um, the challenge that we had was as developers, we are very fortunate to many times enjoy the latest and coolest toys and gadgets and you wouldn't have to have the latest ones in order to have a retina screen. I think one of those come out 2016, something like that. But with retina screens, you have, or maybe it was, was it before that? It was like 2010. Yeah, it was iPhone 4. It's been iPhone a while. 4 was it? retina? It's been a while. Yeah, it's it's been a while. It's been a long while. In any case, like there's this whole idea of like, how do you solve the problem of 2X images? And I remember, do you remember when this first came out? Like this whole mm. idea of like 2X images, everybody's like losing their minds as to like yeah. how they were going to accommodate this problem of, of 2X images, right? And so if you don't know what Cloudinary is, let me first start there before I kind of launch into this other tirade. Uh, Cloudinary is an image hosting platform, uh, which gives you an API that allows you to very easily request different sizes of images uh, using different formats and different cropping options. And then it will generate that image on the fly, cache that and deliver it down to your website um, as efficiently as possible. So Adam Wathen talks about this on his podcast a lot because they're one of his sponsors. And he says he was crazy to ever try and do anything else because Cloudinary is such an amazing platform. And it really is. It can do things like face detection and crop to faces. So it kind of does art direction in addition to just like, you know, uh, making your images smaller. So you can just set the width and then set height to auto. One of my favorite things is you can say F auto for format auto. And if your browser that you're viewing with Mm -hmm. can handle WebP images, such as Chrome, it will deliver WebP images, which are much able to be compressed uh, with a much better algorithm. And so they're obviously smaller coming down the wire. So that's pretty cool. But this is one of the things I hadn't run into before, which is this, um, you need this, you know, 2X or this DPI 2.0 image to come down the line. So the good thing is Cloudinary has that as one of their options. So in your options there, you say, you know, F auto W underscore 1280 with width one with 1280 uh, H underscore auto for height auto 
Then you could say DP. Let me see. Let me make sure I'm saying this right here. DPR. DPR underscore right 2.0 and 3.0. Thank you. DPR underscore 2.0 and 3.0. They also have 1.0, right? So that solves the problem. So if you have your image and you have a SRC, you just put uh, DPR underscore 2.0, which is great. So that will deliver. You don't have to change the width and the height. You don't have to say, give me a give me an image that's twice the size as it was. You just leave the, the height and the width the same. And then you say, give me an image that's twice as dense, really, right? Like twice as many pixels in that space. And it will go ahead and send that down the line, which is pretty cool. So the problem you have then, if you're concerned at all about performance, which I am, because I love the feeling of if I'm on Twitter, on my phone, right? And somebody has like a, a landing page or something that's on there. And I click it and like maybe I'm on my, I don't know, maybe I'm standing at the store in line or something, right? I love that feeling of getting a snappy, like, oh, there it is. Boom, really fast. So I can tell somebody's really put a lot of time and thought into making sure that this is performant, not only for a desktop that I'm using at work on a 200 megabit connection, but also for somebody who's just casually browsing around, right? So I really appreciate that. So I always like to make time, make sure I spend a little bit of extra time to do that. So the problem is I can deliver a image that has twice the amount of pixels, but what if I just have a mobile user that doesn't need twice the amount of pixels? They only need the thing is a mobile user typically does need because they right a mobile device is much more likely to have a high high density display than than a desktop. So you always that's fair. you always want to deliver that's fair the double pixel density, but you would want to like on a mobile device you'd only want four eighty or whatever it is wide, whereas on a and you'd still so you deliver four eighty, correct? Well, you switched to two forty. No, no, you'd get nine sixty. You displayed it a two forty window. So the image would be nine sixty wide, but it would be displayed as four four eighty, right? And so it's double density, which is essentially what it is. And then it's just squished down into two forty. So if yeah, that blog we'll link the blog up in in the show notes. You see where it comes down to the examples for DPR one, DPR two, DPR three. So the DPR two image mm-hmm. is the same width and height as the DPR1 image, but it, it's twice as many pixels. So it would still be displayed as 100 pixels on that target device. Right. But if you didn't have a device that was supported, it twice as big. Correct. Yeah. But it's going to be sharper. And the nice thing about this is it automatically detects. Well, actually, I take it back. It does not automatically detect. So Cloudner doesn't automatically detect which ones will take a mm-hmm. 2x image and which ones will not. That's the problem, right? So that's the problem. So the, the good thing is Cloudinary solves the problem partially by saying, deliver a 2x image, right? So that, that's half the solution. The other half is how do I know if the phone or the device that is viewing it is 2x or 1x? So like, for example, I have on my left over here, I have a MacBook Pro, which is like late 2017. What is it? Let me see here. Hold on. Not that it matters. But I have a MacBook Pro. Yep. Late 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a retina screen on it. On my right, I have a Thunderbolt display, which is not a retina screen. So I don't want to deliver a 2x image to my Thunderbolt display, but I do if it's on my retina display. So how, how does that work, right? The good news is source set, SRC set, is a attribute that you can put on an image that will the browser will know if you want a 1x or a 2x image. So if your browser or if your screen that you're displaying it on supports a double density image, you can actually feed it a different source value. Uh, It's really simple too. So you just put in like source set equals. So you put, first of all, you say image IMG equals 
or IMG, and then you have SRC for source, and that's just like a fallback. So you say SRC equals, and then whatever you want. So I would put the single density image there. And then you have source set equals, and then you put the single density image, and then you put space 1x, comma, and then you put the double density image, space 2x, comma. And if you wanted 3x, you could do that as well. So it handles that density. Uh, but in addition, source set also handles responsive images, which is really freaking cool. So you can say if this is a width, uh, if the width of the screen is 480 or lower, use this different source. And if it's 880 and lower, use this different source. And the reason why that matters is because Cloudinary also makes that really easy, right? So I can do, in addition to having the density, I can also do a responsive image and have Cloudinary just deliver me the version, the smallest version that that person would need. So for my mind, that's the easiest way to be able to do that. And we had also talked about mm -hmm. this because there's now blade components. We could actually have something like a Cloudinary image blade component where I just feed it a single source. And what it will do is it will actually transform that on the fly to be to have that source set, right? Where it will handle all of like the breakpoints that we use in Tailwind. It will give me a version that is that because all I have to do is just feed in a width value to Cloudinary. And then I can also handle the double density images as well based on all those and just do that one time. And then anything I feed into that uh, Cloudinary image blade component, it will automatically handle doing all that. So I'll just mm -hmm. have to do the work once and then it works for everybody. And that should be the most performant, uh, optimized way to handle those sort of responsive images and nice crisp images for those of us who are viewing on 32-inch screens and uh, nice crisp but optimized images for those who are viewing it on a iPhone 6 mm -hmm. in line mm -hmm. at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or what have you. It's nice. <clears throat> so that's been kind of interesting. Yeah, it was and like 94 The support for it is really good too. Uh, so it's natively supported... Yeah, it's natively supported on all the modern browsers except for IE11, but there's a there's a great polyfill for it as well, which is pretty lightweight. Um, no IE11. Sorry. No polyfill. Get a bit of browser. No polyfill. No IE11. That's fine. I, I can get down with that. I can get down with that. So anyway, I think that's really cool. I've only used source set like maybe twice before, once or twice before. But it's a really, really great solution. I love that it's built into browsers now. It used to be such a mess. It used to be such a JavaScript nightmare to try and do that at all well. And now they make it really, really simple. Yeah, we'll definitely get that done. So that, is, cool. that is basically the last pretty, thing that you and I cool. were bickering about with the landing page for then ping me, I think. So it'd be good to get... But you've done a knock-up job on that, man. It looks... So we kind of collaborated on that. So we did... Yeah, you did most of the work. And then I kind of tacked on some images and tidied up some text. I, I reached out to a few people... Shout outs to Matt and Jonathan and Kaneko and uh, goodness, there was someone else. I'm sorry, I forgot who you are. Um, so I reached out to a few people and asked for some feedback and got some really good suggestions around text. And Jonathan's feedback was basically the images are blurry, which is why we even started having this back and forth about the images. Because every time I, I created a nice yeah, high-res exactly. crisp image, you would exactly. update it to be a, a cloudinary image and then it would be blurry and then I would complain about it. So it's all all pretty much done now. Yeah. It's all sorted After we now. finish this, We're gonna we'll, be sorted. Yep. We'll, we'll sort out those images so and then um, the, yeah. the landing page is pretty much done at that point. I have started getting, I don't know, I've told you, I've got a couple of people in and using then ping me now and they're just testing it out. We, there were a few teething issues not quite sure how we got to those issues and time zones have made it a little tricky to co collaborate. I get it. We, we figured it out eventually. 
Most of it's because we don't have any documentation for the, the beta people beyond me saying these three dot points. So that'll be the next thing we need to do is just link that up. Do the do the Tailwind UI style Notion doc. Just link yeah, we that do in have there sort and, of a, and go from there. So, yeah, it is. Yep. You know where actually I also saw that uh, that was like sort of inspirational on that is uh, the dude who makes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. Sizzy, 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 whatever it is. Yeah, he's totally like a mm-hmm. just like get it done sort of dude. Like make it happen. Like don't waste time doing stuff that's not important to get your money in the door. And um, so I think his docs are still in. Yeah, so we'll get that out. Just some dot points to get people up and running because there's a couple of gotchas while we're running the the closed beta around, you know, you've got to point to a specific domain for sending the request and you need to run things a certain way. The package itself is now public. So if you want to go and and have a look at that, it's at uh, github.com slash then ping me slash then ping me dash Laravel. I'll have links to that in the show notes so you can go and have a look at my terrible code there and and send some pull requests telling me how to fix it but yeah largely it's it's just tidying up this it was i i had i did so much back and forth and i got stuck yak shaving i tweeted about the little responsive helper that would display the current screen size in at the at the top of the page which is handy because i was like yes 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 i saw yeah, that of course someone and somebody had a plugin was like for it. i'm like yeah the plugin is a better idea and then somebody was like i always google this and I'm like, yes, yeah. finally, I'm vindicated because Michael always gives me crap about reinventing the wheel. Don't I be didn't nice. say anything just because <laughs> I was trying to be nice. It was, um, it was just one of those things. I'm like, I'm sure this is, <laughs> this is easy. And then it was easy, but it was more work than needed to be because the, there is a plugin. I'll see if I can dig it up and, and include that in the show notes as well because that's handy if you're ever... Now, I've had this discussion with several people before. Responsive design is not like constantly expanding and contracting the width of your browser window responsive design is figuring out where things break and then making the adjustments there so tailwind actually makes that really easy because it's here is your default here is your small medium large and extra large so in sizi i've got those breakpoints configured and so i'm looking at them all at the same time and fixing things up but sometimes you just want to break out into the browser and you just want to see like i just want to focus on this and sometimes it's a matter of like okay i when I get to this point, like, what do I need to look at? And it was a matter of looking at, you know, whether images, um, how the images look at different sizes, like, should they be a half width or should they be a third width or whatever? As the window gets bigger, we changed positioning of text. And it was, it was a matter of like, I spent ages just on the text itself, adding in and subtracting words to make sure that they were all roughly the same size so that there was no images that were wrapping it or there was no text that was wrapping it different places that caused the gaps between images to be different things like that. So it was a lot of fun. It was a bit of work to, to get there. Um, but yeah, we are very, very close. Hopefully we can finish up the last of the image finesse after we finish up recording here, because this shouldn't take too long now, I don't think. And then we can probably deploy this. No, I don't think so. Yeah. And then we can, I think in the next day or so, we'll just finish tidying up those docs and then get more people into the the beta just to really start testing out the project. I've got, I made some merge requests, um, some changes to the database to add some indexes because I noticed one of the pages is getting a bit slow now because it is not indexed. Um, so there there is a merge request uh, there waiting for that that I would uh, like to deploy, yep. but because it's part of this landing page, I suppose I could cherry pick it out, but with it this close to doing it now, we may as well just wait and then uh, get it done. So 
we will have we're something so yeah, we're really very close. soon for people to look at and and tell us about our amazing emoji-based pricing system and uh, and we'll go from there. But we we're still <laughs> yeah, we're still planning on Don't spoil the surprise. launching on the 25th of August, mostly because I have already recorded my talk for the the Laravel meetup that's happening on the 25th of August and I said this has launched today, so if it is not launched today, there will be trouble. But you were working on the billing side of things today as well so i am yeah actually i've, I've done this before actually I, I thankfully i've had a little bit of experience with this already so i actually made a site for a, the nonprofit i work for on fridays sometimes uh that they're doing like mm-hmm. a raffle sort of deal uh for this for this prize whatever it doesn't matter in any case i used stripes products and pricing to handle that checkout flow so i've already done this once before and so I'm familiar with kind of like the dashboard and and how you actually implement it. Uh, the only piece I haven't done is a subscription portion. So you have to create a product and then you have prices uh, that go along with products. So you can have like a product with multiple prices as well um, based on like if you have different options or things like that. So, uh, But when you're doing a subscription like this, this fixed value pricing, you have different products for each of the tiers. And then mm-hmm. those products each have like a single price. Uh, and so it's that that makes it quite simple. And then you just have a subscription to that particular product. So you have like a monthly subscription to that product. So um, yeah, it's it's really nice. Stripe makes it, you know, it's a difficult problem, but Stripe makes it quite simple. The other thing that mm-hmm. they do is they use webhooks, um, you know, inform you when somebody has subscribed. So when you, um, you know, what you do is you have to create a, so sorry, let me just start at the top real quick here. I, I, I promise I won't be long. <laughs> product price, multiple products. Each product is a single price. Uh, when somebody is wanting to subscribe, you will create a customer for them with their user ID, right? So if that's an ID from your app, great. It may be an email, probably more likely an email address, something like that. And then you subscribe that customer to that product. And then what it will do is it will trigger a webhook event uh, that will be sent to your application. And then you can listen for that event and then mm-hmm. do whatever you need to do inside of your application to say, uh, this person is now on this particular, yep. yeah. you know, on this particular tier or something like that. So the nice thing is that um, Stripe actually has a CLI tool that allows you to listen and trigger and yeah. forward webhook events straight from your terminal. So you could say Stripe, Stripe listen or Stripe trigger payment intent created or payment intent succeeded. And then you can just send that along to your app, right? To whatever you want. And it will, you can, you can test it locally or in your, you know, in your continuous integration environment nice. uh, in your testing. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's going well, make it, it really make easy it pretty to nice. not um, have to worry about futzing around with, um, you know, HTTP, HTTP, oh no, HTTP fakes. Going into a like dashboard that. You can just be like, and having to yeah. run that thing over there to listen and just hit it as though it's a real thing. Happening. Oh, sure. So that's nice. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So obviously they've tried mm. to make the, they've tried to make it as good as they possibly can uh, for developers. That's right. Which that's is what that's why when experts at that's so, why yeah. when they released it, should, the video be announcing this uh, this new product that they did it uh, in Vim. So they just want everyone to make sure that it was as powerful as it could be. Oh my! Never oh my. ends. Hey, speaking of never, never ending, ends. we should end and uh, get this stuff finished up for our friends. We should. We Let's should also it. speaking of friends. Thank you very much to Fathom Analytics for sponsoring the podcast. Go ahead. You can check out their wonderful, wonderful products at usefathom.com forward slash north, where you will get a 14-day trial and a $20 credit to use towards your service. 
It is a simple privacy-focused analytics platform that gives you all the data you need and none of the data you don't. Also, be sure to check out Jack Ellis, who will be speaking at Laracon US later this month. They're going to go into a great deal of detail about the the journey moving to Vapor and, and rewriting the platform to, to be scalable and performant and, and all of that good stuff. So definitely check that out. Um, check out Fathom uh, on Twitter and on the net and make sure you say that uh, we sent you there because we like to support our friends as much as our friends like to support us. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to episode 81. We appreciate you always. If you like the show, please feel free to rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. That would be amazing. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 81. Hit us up on Twitter at any time at Jacob Bennett at Michael Dorinda. We would love to talk to you and hear any comments uh, or just roast Michael about them or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. All right, everybody. Until next time, we'll see ya. Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 79 of the North Meet South Web podcast. Is it? Oh boy, let's find Might out. Might be 80. Who knows? Is it 79? Let's it's 81. Let's wow. Let's find out. 81. Ooh, let's try that again. Yikes. <laughs>